You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. Our reading this morning comes to us from the Christian scriptures, specifically the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. As Jesus walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. It is so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Then he went back, and when the man went back and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. But the man kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go and wash in Siloam. Then I went and washed and received my sight. So yesterday... Uh, I attended a farewell party for uh, our longtime member, Larry Iaquenta. Some of you were there. And Larry, I know that you are on Zoom because I can see you on the screen under here. (laughs) We love you. We're going to miss you. So Larry asked me, and several of you asked me this question, so what are you going to speak about? What are you going to preach about? And you might have noticed that I kind of avoided the question. (laughs) Because I figured if I told you I was going to preach from the Gospels, some of you might not have come. If I said, I'm going to tell you a funny, quirky story, you might have come too soon and brought more people that we could fit in here. And if I told you it was a quirky story from 2,000 years ago that I don't happen to believe, but that I still think that truths can be found and applied to today, well, you'd have said, prove it, right? So here goes. (laughs) These Gospels, I hadn't really read much about them, but here I am in seminary taking a New Testament class, and they actually expect me to read that stuff. (laughs) 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 Who knew? (laughs) And so the Gospels, um, I mean, let's let's see what we've got out here. Anybody know what the four primary Gospels are? Yeah. What are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have some really good Catholics out there. I see some good Protestants out there. Uh, Even a Baptist or two. Maybe even some UUs from birth back when we spent a little more time talking about those things. Well, the first three of those tend to talk, tend to be where Jesus tells us stories called parables. And I like parables. Because there's kind of this understanding that they don't have to be factual truth for there to be some learning in it. Kind of like Aesop's fables, you know? And that shares something with good theater. 
which is that the actors and the, the audience, they have this pact that they're going to suspend disbelief for long enough to take the story in. Well, the story that Brian told is not one of those parables. That's a story about Jesus that in most Christian traditions is considered to be truth, fact, as it stands. And if that's the way you believe, I'm not trying to convince you not to. It's just not the way I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk more about it like it's a short five-act play. So uh, let me tell you a story. This guy, a wise but radical guy, smart, caring, a traveling teacher. He's walking along with some of his students. They come across a blind person. He's not been able to see since his birth. And his students ask him, hey, teacher, is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Either or. Kind of has to be one or the other. This is the dichotomous thinking that pervaded that time and maybe our time too. But the teacher's smart. He's, more importantly, he's wise and he says, He's not, he's one of those not disposed to pre this dichotomous thinking. He says, you know, it's, it's, it's not either one of their fault. Sometimes things just are. And he pulls out a bumper sticker. It's my story. And the bumper sticker says, stuff happens. Of course, if it were Reverend Brian's bumper sticker, it would say, Dharma occurs. <laughs> Always good to suck up to your supervisor. <laughs> What's important, Jesus says, is that the hope and goodness are still possible. And to symbolize this, he reaches down and grabs the dirt and he spits in it. And he makes mud, and he puts it on the person's eyes. It says, go wash, and when you wash, you'll have a new perspective. We'll call that Act One, or at least my synopsis of the script. And quite frankly, whoever tells the story gets to tell it their way. Even the people who wrote it in the book that Brian read from, right? Let's start at that beginning. Whose fault is it? Who can we blame? Who can we shame? Surely, if this marginalized person has a disability or can't afford housing or is being arrested or has mental health issues, surely, surely it's someone's fault. Maybe it's theirs. They should work harder, should have done better in school. They made bad choices. Or maybe it's the parent's fault. Deadbeat dad. Mom was probably doing drugs when she's pregnant. Haven't we heard things like that? And don't we know they're BS? On the other hand, we could say, no, it's not their fault. It's those, it's those millionaires. They caused the problem. Let's sue them or better tax them for their greed. And Jesus is saying, let's not get so busy about who's at fault. Let's get busy about solving the problem. So while you're all wagging your fingers about who to blame, let's get busy. Grabs the dirt, spits on it. Here's mud in your eye. 
I don't know why we feel like we must find fault, but that's what we do. I want to also note that um, there was a quote last week. Uh, Reverend Brian used it. It was from the, the poem by Marge Piercy, the, um, To Be of Use, and talked about uh, using the common things. And I think of Jesus taking the two most common things, his own spit and some dirt. And I think that phrase was, uh, where is it? Uh, oh, boy. Eyesight's going. To do the work that is as common as mud. I love that. So on to act two. There's always going to be doubters, naysayers. In this case, they're the Pharisees. Now, these are Jewish legal scholars that are really dedicated to piety and purity. They were a powerful sect in what's known as Second Temple, Temple Jerusalem. And they interrogated this formerly unsighted man. What's up with you all being not able to see, and then all of a sudden you can see? There's, that sounds kind of shady. There was no, hey, you know, that's great. We're so happy for you. None of that. Just, you're messing with our stasis here. <laughs> and tell us again, who did this? How? And did they do it unlawfully on the day of rest? And the person says, all I can tell you is he put mud in my eyes, and now I have vision. I can see. Still, the power class demanded, but he's nobody. He doesn't even follow our rules. He's a bad dude, and bad dudes can't do good things. So there, what do you have to say to that? And the person says the same thing. Well, you know, before he came, I couldn't see. Nothing I tried helped. He put mud in my eye. He did his little thing, and I can see. And now I have a path forward. So let's take a quick break from this story. Okay, a little quick, quick break. I want to I wanna point out that the text I've been describing and my synopsis are doing something. And that is discussing the condition of blindness, both as a physical condition and also as a metaphor for other things. Things like ignorance or an unwillingness to perceive a reality that has nothing to do with physical sight. It's profoundly different. But I also just want to acknowledge that texts, old texts and hymns like the one we'll be singing a little later, they do that. And we need to be aware of that. It's, um, it's problematic. So I also want to note that there are folks here who may not have vision or good vision. There are people on Zoom who are driving and can't look at their screens. Or there are people listening to this podcast a week from now. So in case you want to know, the guy standing by the pulpit is, uh, I'd say, a shortish, overweight, 60-year-old man with a whitish blonde hair, beard, and wearing a black jacket and a white shirt just to try to get us on a little more even page. But back to our story. What is it with power and privilege? What is it with power and privilege that can't accept change? Even in the face of a new truth, why does it need to tamp down a fresh perspective? Why is it so fragile? 
even today, the more fragile a person or a movement, the more likely it is to resort to name calling. You notice that? And one who speaks truth to power can count on being labeled a sinner, an outsider, a radical leftist. As it was 2,000 years ago, still it is today. So those in power didn't trust the words of the marginalized individual. Huh. Have I ever heard that? Those in power did not trust the words of the marginalized individual. Hmm. The Pharisees insisted on involving the parents. First, they brought them in and they didn't pay attention to the fact that the person was of age, could speak for themselves. And they thought they could shame the parents into sticking with the norms of society. They questioned whether it was really their child and whether he really had been blind at birth. The parents replied, we know this is our child, and he was born this way. You should ask them. What if there were a law about to be enacted that in effect said, who you are as a person it's not up to you to decide. It's up to us, the Kentucky State Legislature. Based on what a doctor decided about you at your birth, and you can't change that, even if it's wrong. And if you want your name or your pronouns to be used differently, tough tomatoes. In fact, if we suspect you are not conforming, we will require the centurions to notify your parents and bring them in for questioning. And if they don't conform or act as we think they should, they'll be charged with child endangerment. The Pharisees in Frankfurt, like those in Jerusalem, are too ingrained in their orthodoxy to be able to recognize the lived experience of others, of women who seek reproductive health, and of our young trans folks who will be harmed with the enactment of Senate Bill 150. Oops, I think I just stepped on a soapbox. And I may again. But first, let's check out Act 4. So the Pharisees, back to the ones in Jerusalem, told the person who had been healed, you know, despite what you've told us, we know. We just know that this traveling teacher, he's a sinner. He just is. He's bad. He's a bad hombre. He's an alt-left radical. Now, I kind of think for his time, maybe that last part is true. And I kind of like that about Jesus. <laughs> but you might not want to go tell all your conservative friends or well, maybe do. The recently cited person said, I don't know anything about that. Frankly, I don't care about his theology. He helped me. 
Why can't that be a good thing? Why can't you just be happy for me? Yay, you. But they continue to badger him, demanding answers, then discounting, and then discrediting, and then accusing him. You must be one of his followers too, which makes sense because you were born in sin. You were evil from the start. Get out of here before you infect us with your liberal ideas. Not exactly those words, but if you read what I read, you'd think you were listening to a Senate confirmation hearing from four years ago. We're not going to confirm you, <laughs> but we're going to make you squirm. We won't watch you squirm, and we're going to trap you with our tricky questions. Just watch us. Questions like that old joke. Some of you know this old joke. Have you stopped beating your spouse lately? The yes or no question. Well, there's no, no way to answer that question without incriminating yourself. Essentially, they're trying to force this person into a corner with their dichotomous questioning, like so many in power who have no direct lived experience of being marginalized. They were oblivious. I was tempted to say blind. Not the right word. They were oblivious, ignorant, and discounting of the suffering and transformation of the healed person. Hasn't this always been the way? Isn't it still? I think of the obstacles that build. That's the building a united interfaith Lexington through direct action, the org coalition that we're a part of. I think about all the challenges they're fighting against and the work that they're doing in spite of those challenges. Not everyone, but some in the Lexington power grid are, um, and we might call them the Lexington Pharisees, lack this moral vision or discernment, and possibly they have since birth because they don't understand how systemic marginalizations work because of their social location. Now, got that? Practicing my own vulnerability now, I think to some extent that could have been said about me. I resemble some of those folks that I was just disparaging. I am a privileged, straight, endosex, cisgender, old white guy. Didn't choose any of those things, by the way, just am. I have no primitive understanding of what it means to be marginalized racially, by gender, sexual orientation, disability, ethnicity, or class. And I certainly don't have the lived experience of being a young trans person today. Yet, the video that we showed, it hit me like a handful of spit and dirt. made me uncomfortable, disturbed my privilege, jolted my consciousness. It broke my heart. At the same time, it made me proud 
that I am part of a religious movement where we affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Even if you were uncomfortable with the video, and I understand that, I suspect that you experienced a greater compassion for trans youth and adults throughout the Commonwealth and what they face. If not for my spiritual journey as a UU, I don't know where I would be on social justice issues. It's unlikely I would have as many deep and growing relationships with such a diverse um, cross-section of identities and intersectionalities. My 30 years in churches, UU churches and summer camps and now in a UU seminary, they've not only broadened my consciousness, but they've really given me a chance to connect with those who have different lived experiences from mine. And I am still a work in progress. I am still a work in progress. With that, I've managed to segue into the final act of the story. The teacher, Jesus, seeks out how to, that, that outcast person says, do you claim to have knowledge and faith of what happened? The person acknowledges their ignorance. They show vulnerability, openness to an emerging understanding. And then the teacher explains why he has come to uncover the irony that those who through their privilege are sorry, those who through their privileged positions claim to have vision actually lack it. And on the other hand, those who are vulnerable and who claim to have no special privilege are on a better path toward finding this moral vision. So there's my story. Or my synopsis of someone else's famous story, I don't believe it for what it's worth. Not any more than I believe that the rabbit actually lost to the tortoise. <laughs> and Aesop's famous fable. In any story or video or play, though, I think it's important to notice who you relate to. So let's think about that Bible story. Who did you relate to? Was it the blind man? The teacher? Was it his students asking the either-or question, or the Pharisees? It's complex. And how about that video? Did you relate to the teen? You were either perceived as a young woman or a young man? Was it the supportive classmate who affirmed the teen on his terms? Might it have been the parents struggling with a cognitive dissonance between everything that had ever been taught and believed in a new reality? Maybe, maybe, just maybe on the verge of a relational and spiritual breakthrough. Or at least we can pray that's what was about to happen in the end. You don't have to answer. It's good enough to hold these questions with honest curiosity. Like other good parables and fables, a story might have morals. I encourage you to draw your own. Here are a few of mine. Dichotomist, absolutist thinking isn't really thinking. And maybe thinking isn't the only skill set required. Compassion goes a long way. Change is hard, especially for those privileged by the status quo. There will always be Pharisees out there. It will always be dangerous to speak truth to power, yet we must. 
No one is born in sin. No one is illegal. No one is unworthy of being or speaking their truth or expressing who they are. I believe that. I believe good parents, good communities, good congregations have the backs of the marginalized. If you're looking for a miracle like water turning to wine or something like that, you might want to check out one of the churches up the street. <laughs> if you're looking for mud that's going to improve your eyesight, I think the internet might have some options for you or late night infomercials. He's welcome up here. If, however, you're seeking the wisdom that comes from a fresh perspective, I suggest you what, do what the Pharisees were unwilling to do, too proud to do. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Stay open to new ways of engaging with the world around you. And that might mean getting out of your comfort zone of race and social location and class. It won't be comfortable. But that's not the point. You can get involved with BUILD. There will be some opportunities to learn how to do that. There is something wrong with the village. There are many somethings wrong with the village. And if you want to express resistance to the hateful and hurtful legislative action toward women and toward the LGBT community, and especially towards trans youth and adults, get involved. Be a part of affirming the worth, healing the wounds, transforming hearts, and bringing salvation. I use the word salvation to this world in this time. And if all you came for or looking for is a blessing, I'll offer you this. Here. Here's mud in your eye. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.